Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Do not interpret the Beatitudes as ideals that we are to live up to or as virtues that we are to perform, but as prophetic statements announcing God's action of deliverance through Jesus Christ. And when we compare the Beatitudes to Isaiah 61, which David did last week, we can really see, um, see that. You know, it talks in Isaiah 61 about, I've come to bring good news to the poor. And then we have in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then it talks about, um, to comfort all those who mourn, blessed are those that mourn. And we see this comparison going on. And we see that it's actually Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And he comes as the fulfillment of that in Matthew 5. So who are the blessed in the kingdom of God? Who are the flourishing? And as I said before, it's not who the Romans expected. And Dave really spoke a really great message on this. So I encourage you to go back um, for last week and listen to it. But, we, but Jesus, he didn't come for the well. He didn't come for the healthy. The scripture said he came for the sick, for those that were in need. And I love what Paul Simon, the um, songwriter, wrote. He said um, in one of his songs, blessed are the sat upon, the spat upon and the ratted on. And that's really who Jesus came for. And Jesus pronounced to those people, to all people, not just a select, elect group. He comes to all people, to you and I and all our states and in all our situations, and he calls you blessed. Not because you deserve blessing, not because you've, you've managed to become poor in spirit, but because the kingdom has come, because Jesus has come to bring that fulfillment that was spoken so long ago in Isaiah 61. And I love what Dave Ryder said. I want to repeat it because he said, Jesus is essentially saying, your waiting is over. I am the fulfillment of your eschatological, or in other words, future hope. What you have been waiting for is fulfilled in me and will now be outworked in you. And this is not some future, just future hope of when we get to heaven, then we see all this happen. Jesus, the kingdom broke in now and, and, and Jesus came to bring the kingdom um, to earth now. And we, we live in the, the now but not yet. And so we still live in that tension of the kingdom's come but the kingdom hasn't fully come. And so that's why we still we see glimpses of it but we don't see the perfection of it um, until the end. And so with this in mind, we're going to unpack um, the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And speaking of thirst, may I please have my drink bottle because I'm very thirsty. Um, But let's look at what does it mean to hunger and thirst? Because I don't think us in the Western culture really understand what it means to be hungry. Thanks, mate. And what it means to be thirsty. See, I hear all the time from my children, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Like when I was preparing this yesterday, 
Mom, I'm hungry. I'm saying, can you wait? I'm, I'm in the middle of a thought. No, I'm hungry. I need to eat now. I'm like, you just ate five minutes ago. But I'm starving. I need to. And I'm like, no, that's because you know there's biscuits in the jar. You're not starving. Or that's because you're bored and you don't know what to do with your time. So we don't actually just pause. I'm just going to have a drink. So we don't know what it really means to be hungry. Um, perhaps our dinner... God forbid it's 30 minutes later than on you know, schedule. For us, hunger really is when our regularly scheduled food is delayed. Um, I'll never forget, we had a staff breakup um, at Core Cider House one year. Does anyone work at Core Cider House? Okay, I can tell the story then. Okay, so we had this breakup at Core Cider House and, you know, we'd heard really good things. It's meant to be a beautiful, well, it is a beautiful place and it's meant to serve up delicious food. And so we all came up there and we were starving, we were hungry, we hadn't eaten since breakfast. So we were starving and we waited and waited and waited and finally we saw this waitress come out and we're like, yes, lunch is coming. And she put down a bowl of peas and then she put down another bowl of peas and then another bowl of peas. So we were having roast dinner. And do you know we had peas for an hour? There was nothing else, just peas. The staff got so peed off that they actually started grabbing the peas and having pea fights because they were so bored and so hungry they didn't know what to do with all these peas. See, there's only a certain amount of peas that you can eat. And so... Some of the staff got really offended by this and really upset by this, and so they actually <laughs> left. And so eventually, I think after an hour, we got baby carrots, a bowl of baby carrots, and then a bit later, we got a bowl of potatoes, and then a bit, bit later, so we didn't have many people left by this stage, we got the meat, and then eventually, all this apple crumble started coming out. Now, my husband, Dave, his favourite dessert is apple crumble. So he was in heaven because most of the people had left by that stage. <laughs> and so he had all this apple crumble, stuff in his face with apple crumble. Now, we don't know what it really means to be hungry. Now, we can joke and go, oh, I didn't get, you know, I didn't get fed lunch. But in biblical times, they knew more what hunger meant. See, they didn't get much. They, they had, like, I think it's called a Darius, a month's wage, and that often meant eating once a day. You know, they knew what it meant to be thirsty. They would go on these long, long treks. They'd have to walk everywhere in the hot, dusty roads. And they didn't have those convenient drink fountains along the way. They knew what it meant to be thirsty. And in fact, the word hunger is the same word used to describe Jesus in Matthew 4 when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that, it says, and Jesus was hungry. Which is, you would think you would be hungry after not eating for 40 days and 40 nights. But that word, but medically, after 40 days, 40 nights, you are so, so hungry. Like it's called death hunger because if you don't eat, you're going to die at that point. Is such a hunger that you have become so desperate and nothing else matters. And that's the picture that Jesus is painting in, in this word hunger. There's like a desperation. You are starving. And I love what William Barclay says, this theologian. He says, The hunger which this beatitude describes is not a genteel hunger, which could be satisfied with a mid-morning snack. The thirst which it speaks is not a thirst which could be quenched with a cup of coffee or an ice drink. 
It is the hunger of the man who is starving for food and of the man who will die unless he drinks. It isn't some casual desire or those momentary feeling here one minute and gone the next. It is a deep and continuous, all-consuming yearning. And in the world, to be hungry and to be thirsty does not look like a flourishing life. But Jesus has come to pronounce those people blessed. In other words, he is saying flourishing are the hungry and thirsty because they will be filled. They are blessed not because they hunger and thirst. They are blessed because he comes, because Jesus fulfills that. So does that mean that when Jesus comes and brings that fulfillment and that satisfaction that we no longer hunger? Yes, but also no. And I'll explain that with a quote that A.W. Pink says. I don't have it up on there, but he says, Can one who has been brought into vital union with Jesus, who is the bread of life, be found still hungering and thirsting? Yes, such is the experience of the renewed heart. And I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. See, there's this paradox going on there. We are filled, yet we hunger and thirst for more. And we're filled, but we hunger and thirst for more. And Jesus says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. And what does that mean? Well, I want to unpack that in the um, next half of the message. The Greek word for righteousness, which is duke osune. I don't know how to say that quickly. So I always, when I write on my things, I kind of break it up. So duke osune. And this is a large part. This theme of righteousness is a huge part in the Gospel of Matthew, and particularly this passage and um, it essentially means rightness, being right and doing right. And in our world, we often ask, well, what is right? And I think we've gone so far of that measure of right or that plumb line of right as a society that we're now so confused with what is right and wrong. And so for us in society, right and wrong is based on what I feel. So what is right for you is right for you, but it doesn't have to be right for me. And there's, there's no definite line anymore of what is right. It's so blurred and so confusing. But God is the measure of right. He is the plumb line of right. And everything that deviates from his righteousness or his right is wrong. Regardless of what culture says, regardless of what is fashionable, or fashionable or popular, he is our definition of what is right. And you know, the Jews and the Pharisees, they really lived up to that. They used the Torah to measure what was right, what was wrong, and they really tried to be righteous. Um, they had a hunger to be right, but it was marked by outward obedience only, and they had forgot about the heart. They forgot that actually they couldn't achieve it alone. They couldn't achieve it by themselves. 
And so in this sermon, Jesus really redefines what righteousness means. In fact, Jesus further um, says down in verse 20, he says to the crowd, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. This would have been a what moment for them. What are you talking about? The Pharisees, they are up here in righteousness. How on earth can I be better than them? Like, I, that's impossible. But what was Jesus' meaning of that? Meaning of that? And so today I want to look at that. I want to look at four dimensions of what Jesus meant by righteousness and how he came to fulfill that and what that means for us today. So the first one is, righteousness is who Jesus is. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And throughout scripture, Jesus was referred to as the righteous one. He was the righteousness revealed in humanity. See, having a righteousness above the Pharisees was actually impossible. That was the point of Jesus, that nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus was the plumb line of righteousness. He was the fulfillment of righteousness. And I'm sure the religious leaders in the crowd that day were put off by that because they were looking for a righteousness outside of Jesus. They were looking for a satisfaction um, outside of Jesus, which came through the law. And Jesus was coming to say, that will, that will no longer satisfy you. I am the satisfaction. I am the righteousness that you are looking for. I am the only way to right standing with God. So we think we're pretty good at times. We've, we've gone to church We've attended at least twice in a month or, or we've gone to prayer meeting or we've read our Bible. But Jesus came to say, oh, actually, that, that doesn't give you right standing with God. I am the one. Jesus is the one that gives you right standing. And in fact, in Matthew 6.33, he says, But seek God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that you're searching for or hungering or looking for will be added unto you. But seek first. God and his righteousness. In other words, seek God's righteousness, not your self-righteousness. Seek God rather than looking to try and fulfill that yourself. Stop relying on yourself, but start relying and in believing in Jesus Christ. Which leads me to my next point. Righteousness is not only who Jesus is, it is who I am in Jesus. Now, I know for most of us, we all know this. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves of, of the essence of the gospel. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, Jesus, or he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. See, because of Christ, you are righteous if you've received his righteousness. If you've received Christ, it's like you have taken off your own way of doing things, which are like filthy rags, the Bible says, and you've exchanged it for a cloak 
of white, pure righteousness, his cloak, and you put that on him. And so that when Jesus and God sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness in you and he sees that cloak. So no matter how hard I try, we know that we can never attain perfection. I was having a chat to someone who's kind of on a path to, to searching for for God and searching um, along, along, I guess, who is Jesus? And she said, you talk a lot about sin, Kyla, but I don't think I'm that bad. You know, I'm a good person. I, I, I don't do, and I don't steal, I don't murder, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm essentially, I'm a good person. But I said to her, well, actually, God's standard is so up here that, you know, we might be up here or here, but we will never reach here because it's all about the heart. So even, do you ever hate someone? Well, yeah. Well, then the Bible says we're a murderer. Do you ever lust after someone? Well, yes. Well, then you're an adulterer if you're married. And so Jesus comes to redefine what righteousness is and comes to say, well, actually, no one is righteous. Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous, not even one. And that's why Jesus came. But we become righteous in him. We have been clothed in the righteousness of God through Christ by grace and faith. And so it's not about trying anymore. It's about letting go and receiving. And so I guess Jesus comes to bring a powerful redefinition of righteousness So righteousness is who Jesus is. It's who I am in Jesus. But it's also, number three, who I am becoming in Jesus. Paul said to Timothy in one of his charges to Timothy, he said, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Pursue means to chase after, go after, hunger. Go after righteousness. And you can say, well, why do I need to go after righteousness if I'm already righteous? No, why do I need to pursue it if I already possess it? But what is true about me and you positionally, I am righteous, is being produced in my life practically, I am becoming righteous. So positionally, God has already finished his work in me. But practically, he is working out in my life as I grow in my relationship with Christ and as he conforms me more and more to the image of Christ. And so the charge that God has for us is, Kalamunda, would you pursue righteousness? Would you go after it and allow the Holy Spirit to deal with things that don't line up with who God is, to deal with that stuff in our heart, to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit that says, you know, give me that. And it's not a doing in our own strength and in our own works. See, when we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers us 
to say no to ungodliness and to live this life that Jesus calls us to. So it's not a pursuing in our own strength. It's a pursuing empowered by the Holy Spirit. The last thing that Jesus meant by righteousness is that righteousness is what Jesus is restoring to the world. See, the word for righteousness in the Old and New Testament was, came from the same word group as justice. And you'll notice in some translations that it says, those that hunger and thirst for justice will be satisfied. Because they virtually mean the same thing. So in our Western individualistic mindset, we think of righteousness as the virtue of an individual person. But the biblical idea of righteousness is actually delivering justice. A justice that rescues and releases the oppressed. And commentaries say that this was probably what Jesus was referring to here. Although I think there's, as I said, four dimensions and there's probably more. But the Israelites, they were looking for God. They were looking for a deliverer to show up and for his righteousness and his justice to, to, to be displayed. They were looking for God to come and wipe out their enemies and to finally bring the justice that they were longing for. And Jesus comes and he announces, you are blessed because I have come now to satisfy. I am coming to restore all things. And I love what Isaiah 26 verse 9 says. I think this really paints a picture of what it really means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It says, my soul longs for you in the night. Indeed, my spirit seeks you at dawn. For when your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness see they see righteousness when God acts when his justice come people see God's righteousness in action they see he's he's making all things right his will is being done and that's why we're called to pray in the Lord's prayer your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so we partner with God in seeing his righteousness come in seeing his justice come. And so I asked before, does that mean that Jesus comes? Do we stop hungry and thirsty? And I said no, because while the kingdom has broken in, it hasn't fully come yet. You know, we live in the now but not yet. And Jesus, as we know, is coming back and he's creating new earth and new heavens. And so he, we still have this hunger, but it's not a hunger that we conjure up. It's not one that we try and create in ourselves. It's one that the Holy Spirit wants to give. It's one that the Holy Spirit wants to stir up that hunger and that thirst for Jesus and for his righteousness. See, we know that our world is still broken. And I was recently at... This, uh, this meeting, this talk where there were people that um, had been in the homosexual life and they had, they had come out of that and their life had been completely transformed. And so they were coming to, to share their stories and they ranged from, you know, 
a young, a young, young man, so I think he would have been about 18, up until an, an older person. And do you know the theme of their stories was abuse or it was an absent dad? And, they, and it wasn't about shame, shaming them, but they had come to find freedom. And all their stories were different, but they shared about their, their horror of what was happening in the government where Melbourne was bringing in that law to stop people from seeking help. And if they wanted, so some of them had converted. Um, and I'm just careful because I've realised there's children here, but they had converted into the opposite sex and they wanted to come back to, to being who they were originally made to be. But the Melbourne law was stopping people from even doing that and to seeking help. And they were showing, you know, how evil our world, how broken our world was becoming. And we know, like, you know, abortion and, and euthanasia, all those things that are now almost becoming, that's, that's okay now. It's like our definition, our truth is being watered down and, and we're moving more and more away of God's standard of righteousness. So we know that we live in a broken place. And so the call for us is to hunger and thirst for God for your righteousness to come, for your righteousness to enter in, for your righteousness to transform this place, for your rightness to come. You know, I love what 2 Peter 3.13 says. He says, I've got it up there. If we go to the next slide. Yes. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So this is our hope. And the word dwell here means it's permanent. It's not going. It's dwelling. It's staying. And that's what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming to bring a righteousness that will remain forever. And at the moment, his righteousness is breaking in. His righteousness is in us because we are the righteousness of Christ. But we are then to bring that righteousness out wherever we are, whatever we meet. God is at work building his kingdom. And for those in Christ, you are kingdom citizens. Oh, I said that wrong. You are kingdom people. And we get to be involved in seeing the kingdom expressed in the world. When the kingdom of God expands in a community, it means the community becomes a better place. Because we begin to see glimpses of God's kingdom fleshed out in the here and now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as I come to an end, I ask, are we blessed because we hunger and thirst? No, we're already blessed. You know, we did that Ephesian study last year. We are blessed. There's been an announcement and a proclamation. We are blessed because Jesus has come and has called us blessed. You know, how does Isaiah 61 link it? If you go back to Isaiah 61, it says, And you shall be called oaks of righteousness. Jesus came to make us oaks of righteousness in Christ. And he comes to establish righteousness and he comes to bring righteousness to the world. And Jesus promises 
to meet all your hungry and thirsting. And as I was praying, I just felt there were people, maybe you haven't got a personal relationship with Jesus yet. And you've been looking and you've been hungering and you've been searching to find satisfaction, to find fulfillment. And I've come to say today that you will only ever, ever have your thirst quenched and you will only ever have your hunger satisfied in Jesus Christ. It will never be found out there in the world. Now we talked about Palm Sunday today, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling that prophecy so long ago. You know, he came as a king, not what they expected a king to look like, but he came as a king to die in my place, taking with him my failing righteousness that were like filthy rags. And he dealt with our sin and that gap between me and the Father who is completely righteous. And in exchange, he gave us his righteousness, a white cloak, and he placed that on our shoulders and he said, you are righteous in me. To all those who put their trust and faith, you are the righteousness of God. And we just have to receive that by faith. So if I can, I just want to pray. If I can have every eye closed, every head bowed. Father, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is righteousness. And that in him I am righteous. But I'm becoming also righteous in him. I thank you for your restoration of righteousness to the world. And I just really feel to give an invitation for those that maybe have been trying to make themselves right with God themselves. You've been trying to come to church and do all the right things, but you've actually never received Christ. And he's the only one that can give us that righteousness, that right relationship with God. So if that's you today, if you want to receive Jesus, I want to pray for you. But if I could just ask you to pop up your hand so I know who I'm praying for. As the music plays, I'm just going to give us a moment. If you've walked away from God, you've never come to Christ before. That's you. Just pop your hand up. We can think, well, I'm not good enough. But that's the point none of us are. The other thing I felt as I was praying that the Lord wanted to give us a fresh hunger. I said that word fresh at the start. It's not a hunger we conjure up. It's not a hunger that we try and create. But as life goes on, sometimes we lose that hunger, that thirst. And I just believe the Lord wants to give us a fresh hunger. So if that's you, why don't you just lay your hands out like in a position of receiving and I'm just going to pray for you. You know, disappointment comes at time. Discouragement comes at time. Busyness comes and 
it take it saps that hunger. But I believe the Lord wants to give a fresh hunger. So Father, we just thank you, Jesus. Right now for fresh hunger. Lord, we lift off the guilt, we lift off the striving. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and breathe afresh on your people. Father, we ask for a fresh fire, a fresh passion to see your righteousness come, to see your will be done. we just then need to receive it by faith. So just thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your, I thank you for that hunger. And I thank you for that thirst right now. Lord, forgive me where I've tried to do it in my own strength or where, where I've forgotten what really was the most important thing. And I receive it in Jesus' name. And the third, the third um, thing that I felt the Lord wanted to encourage and, and minister into today was there was a line in the song that we sang, in that hallelujah song. And it said, whatever we forever lost, you have redeemed. Whatever was taken, you get, you redeemed, you restored. You know, and we can sometimes feel a real injustice. Like there's things that have been taken or stolen. I don't mean literal things. Even you know, things that the Lord promised or, or things that we want to see. Like people come to the Lord and, and it feels like the enemy has come to, to steal that. And, to, and there's been an injustice. You know, I think of Job who, he lost basically everything. But at the very end of that story, we know that God returned doublefold. And recently, my son had lost his watch that he'd been given as a gift. And we'd gone for a bushwalk and he'd put it in his pocket because he didn't want it to get muddy. And it wasn't until a week later that we realised the watch had been completely lost. It was gone. And we went back to that bush. We searched everywhere. And I, I kept trying. I set the alarm to find it um, that was linked to my phone. And it was one of those smart watches. And it wasn't just a watch. It was something that we actually felt God had given us as a gift. I don't have time to go into that story. But there was such a sense of Oh, disappointment there or injustice. And I know it's just a watch, but I want to use it as an illustration. And I was talking to my husband. I said, oh, it's just such a shame. It just doesn't seem right. I feel like we should get this back. And, and Dave said to me, you know, Kyla, I've always seen the Lord return that which was taken to me. And there was something in my spirit that said, yes, so Lord, would you return that which was lost to us? And shortly after, I just had this thought, post it on all those spot by pages, post it and just see. So I did, but I didn't really expect much to come from it. Anyway, a friend contacted me and said she had seen one similar to the one we had lost on a post I wasn't part of five days earlier. 
And I couldn't get in touch with the guy because I wasn't part of that group, but she did. And an hour later, I get this phone call from this guy and he says, I have your watch. And by that night, he'd been returned to my son. I know, I just feel like that's a picture for today for people that perhaps there's been things stolen. There's been things where it feels so unjust. And you know, Job didn't get back exactly what he lost, but he got back so much more. And I just feel like the Lord would say, I want to give back. See what the enemy took or what, what was lost. Maybe it was through a mistake that you made, but God wants to bring justice. He wants to restore justice. And so as we sing today, if that's you, I want to pray for you. The elders want to pray for you. I invite you to come forward or whatever it is, if you want to receive Christ or just want someone to pray for you, I'm going to invite you. Come and receive prayer.